enjoyed that song by Warren Smith because I can't take it back. This is Diamond City Radio, and I'm, uh, you know, me, Travis. Anyway, Roy Brown is back with Good Rockin' Tonight. I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't bother singing about it if the rockin' wasn't really great. Like average rockin' or...
save it, come back.
a man If it acts just like a cross patch Has a face with whiskers that scratch If it's stubborn as can be mean and ornery It's a man If it walks, if it talks If its habits are a little bit peculiar If it brags and tries to make you think it's wonderful Be on the lookout, don't let it fool ya
Yes. You're listening to uh, uh, Diamond City Radio. If, if you're listening at all.
worry, worry, love is passing me by. Worry, 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 I'm so painfully shy. Not the guys get all the kisses. Worry, 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 woe is me. Baby, 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 I'm a fool about love. Maybe, maybe I should go to school about love. When it comes to getting chummy, I'll admit I'm quite a dummy. Worry, 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 woe is me. I found out that I'm the worrying kind. I go worrying right along. Life is fine, but with the worrying mind, so many things can go wrong. Worry, 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 should I hold her some time? Worry, 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 and my kiss is right. She said, Joe, I'm not Joe, my name is Harry.
I hope you liked that. That was maybe by the Xbox. I mean, it was definitely by the Xbox. It's called maybe. I should have been clearer. Now that is how you do it. Number 26. Nick Valentine is a bloody cool noir name, that's for sure, but some believe it's an allusion to the detective Sam Spade, created by author Dashiell Hammett in the early 1900s. The Maltese Falcon detective's name is kind of similar, monosyllabic first name, heart-associated second name, and his voice is similar to Humphrey Bogart's performance as the character in the 1941 Maltese Falcon movie. Number 27. In Fallout 4, some characters are marked as essential, meaning they cannot be killed, like dogmeat, for example. It's worth noting and rejoicing that old Nicky Boy is one such character, making him basically invincible. Number 28. Sometimes a group of raiders will attack you. They attack, but then will stop right away upon recognizing Nick, as Nick helped them out in the past. See, it pays to have him around. Number 29. Another cool little tidbit about our pal Nick is that if you have the mysterious stranger perk activated while you're accompanied by him, he'll make comments about the stranger, saying that he's been after him for years. If you go into Nick's house in Diamond City and look beneath the bed, you'll also find a case file about the stranger with references to his appearances across all the Fallout games. Number 30. Speaking of Diamond City residents, let's talk about Piper. No, she's not named after one of the most annoying characters in Netflix's history. In fact, I'm not even sure who she's named after. She is, though, an essential companion who also can't die. Number 31. Piper herself actually had a run-in with the previously mentioned Children of Atom, and similar to Nick, her quick thinking got her out of there. She pretended to have a vision of Atom itself, and then they not only let her live, but she became a dang acolyte. Number 32. Then there's the ghoul mayor Hancock, who you can also, uh, what's the word, companionize? It's worth noting too that apart from Curie and synth form and dance, but don't tell him that, Hancock is the only non-human you can actually have a little romantic relationship with. Yeah, sorry, dogmeat just ate into that. Number 33. If you've also played Fallout 3, then you may have noticed a few familiar faces scattered around the Commonwealth. First up, let's start with McCready. Oh yes, the lovable scamp from Little Lamplight, now all grown up. He got married, had a kid, and joined a faction. Sounds great until you realise his wife died, his kid died, and that faction was actually the Gunners. You can make him your companion and help him face the past that still tortures him. It's a much nicer way to remember our sweet little chum. Number 34. Next up, Dr. Madison Lee, who you'll remember from your birth in Fallout 3. In Fallout 4, she's fled to the Institute and serves as the Director of Advanced Systems. Depending on what route you take, you can work alongside her with the Institute, or you can convince her to leave it and continue working. What's up guys, JV2017 here, and today I am continuing my Fallout 4 pre-release con- Sam, and today, this sole survivor, god, that feels so real right now, is here to tell you about one of the biggest RPG games ever made. No, not that one, or that one, or that one, or that one either. They're all great, yes, but I'm here today to talk to you about Fallout 4. Yes, that's right, we're off to Vault 111 and the Commonwealth Wasteland to tell you guys all about the crazy goings on there. Seriously, I wouldn't rate it as a vacation. 
And by the way, yes, this will be full of spoilers, so don't go down to the comments saying, oh, you spoiled it, it's been out for five years. Go play it first. But what Lovecraftian horrors are hiding in the wasteland? What's up with Fallout 4's obsession with Harrison Ford? And how much do you bet it absolutely stinks underneath that Pip-Boy? I mean, it never comes off. Two out of three of those questions are going to be answered, so pop on your wasteland vest and avoid that swan in the lake as much as possible. I know it's pretty, but you'll regret it, trust me, as we go through 101 facts about Fallout 4. Number one. So a quick bit of background for you wasteland noobs out there. Fallout 4 is the fourth... <laughs> get Fallout 4, fourth? game in the main Fallout series of post-apocalyptic RPGs, in which your character, the sole survivor, must navigate their way through the nuclear wasteland of Boston, Massachusetts, in order to track down their son, who was stolen as an infant. It takes place in the year 2287, around 10 years after the events of Fallout 3. You'll understand why that's somewhat important later. Number 2. It was released in 2015 and was the last good Fallout game to be released by Bethesda Studios. Don't come at me, Fallout 76 fans. It's all your fault, Todd Howard. God damn it. Hey, Todd? What the f- Number three. You play the character of the sole survivor. Now, depending on your gender choice of character, you are either the husband or wife in a pre-war family and you have a little bubba called- if you pick the male character, you'll be a retired US Army veteran, and if you pick the female character, you were once a lawyer. Interesting, right? Number four. The game opens in the year 2077, the first Fallout game to feature the pre-war world. The sole survivor is just having a lovely day at home, and a vault tech rep sells you a place in the local vault due to your family service to the country. Fast forward literally five minutes, and nuclear annihilation happens to haul ass into your vault. But, little do you know, the decontamination pods you're asked to enter are actually cryogenic pods. Number five. Fast forward to the year 2227, and you're half awoken by every parent's worst nightmare. You see your baby Sean kidnapped from the arms of your partner, who's then brutally murdered in front of you. You then fall back into your cryogenic state and wake up 60 years later in 2287. Then you escape the pod and make your way back out into the world, but it's not quite the same as how you left it. Wow, drama, hey. Number six. It later comes to light that Sean was kidnapped by the Institute because he was completely unique, in that he's the only infant on Earth that has no DNA corruption from radiation, the perfect pre-war specimen for the next stage of synthetic development and becoming the father of synthetic life. Not sure about you, but this feels like the start of every robot, cyborg, synthetic, artificial disaster movie ever made. Number seven. Now, if you've played the game already, you'll be aware of all the different endings you can have, depending on which factions you decide to side with and the obliteration of their respective enemies. But as well as the Brotherhood, Institute, Minutemen, and Railroad endings, there's also a fifth peaceful ending that's a bit complex to get, but allows you to keep the Brotherhood, Minutemen, and Railroad alive and functioning, but ultimately you do have to destroy the Institute and murder your own child, so swings and roundabouts, really. Number 8. Fallout 4 sold 14.9 million copies as of February 2019, and it's been reported to have surpassed the sales of Bethesda's other big hitter, the Elder Rolls V Skardom. I think that's how you pronounce it anyway. Number 9. Fallout 4 has one of the biggest video game maps ever created. It currently ranks as 16th for beats out games like Red Dead Redemption 2 and Skyrim and Oblivion combined. The map is 43 square miles. This is somewhat debated because it includes a lot of interiors and underground areas, but hey, I think that if you can walk it, it counts. Number 10. We've already established that Fallout 4 is large in size. That's what she said. No, that's what I wish she... Anyway. And with a number of characters that not only speak to you, but also have conversations with each other, it shouldn't be surprising that the game has a lot of recorded dialogue. Back in 
in September 2015, Bethesda tweeted out that it recorded over 111,000 lines of dialogue, which is more than Fallout 3 and Skyrim combined. Number 11. Those who have played some of the other Fallout installments will know about super mutants. They're the product of US military experiments or Vault-Tec experiments. We're looking at you, Vault 87. Not cool, guys. But how did these guys get all the way to Boston? Well, surprise, surprise, we're looking at the Damned Institute again. In one of their many experiments, they subjected innocent people to exposure to the forced evolutionary virus, or FEV, causing them to mutate into these beautiful creatures. When the experiment clearly went wrong, the Institute just chucked them out into the mainland, just to see what would happen. Yeah, Institute. Cool guys. Number 12. Now on to vaults, and what better place to start than our home sweet home, kind of, Vault 111. I'm pretty sure we're all aware of the fact that vault Tech are pretty evil by this point, but the story of every vault emphasises that just a little bit more. So Vault 111, we've already said, is an experiment on the viability of cryostasis in humans and the effect it would have if it did work. However, the residents were told these were decontamination pods. Everyone in the vault later died of asphyxiation as a result of life support failure. Everyone except the sole survivor, their partner, and Sean, of course. Number 13. The basis for the idea of Vault 111 came from Bethesda game designer Emil Pagliarulo, who, when visiting MIT, saw their cryogenics lab, which featured cryogenic tanks. So, of course, he took some pictures, a couple of selfies, selling to his pal Todd Howard, and the rest, as they say, is a video game. Number 14. Vault 114, found in Park Street Station, was designed as a social experiment on residents' reactions to stressful situations. You know, because nuclear war wasn't stressful enough. In this case, the residents were upper class, including high-ranking government officials, business owners, luminaries, and their families. The experiment featured hiring a dangerously incompetent overseer called Soupcan Harry, and taking away the luxury lines they were promised inside the vault to see how they'd respond. It's not known how that experiment went. We can assume it ended badly, as it's overrun by a gang by the time the sole survivor makes it there in 2287. Number 15. Now on to Vault 25, and this is where things get really quite bleak. Found in Malden Middle School, the vault housed all of the students from the middle school, their teachers, and their parents. Once admitted, any adults were taken into an orientation where they were executed, and the children were let to take part in torturous mental and physical tests in order to establish which children had the best refined genetics. Yep, told you it was bleak. Those that didn't make the cut were killed, and those that made it to age 18 were either harvested for their genes or recruited to the vault science team if they were obedient enough. Number 16. A slightly happier vault is number 81, where you can find the adorable Curie. The aim of this vault was to find a universal cure for every sickness known to mankind. <laughs> no pressure, right? Well, of course, because it's vault tech, they experimented on their unknowing residents by pumping various sicknesses through nozzles to expose them, and then they'd try a new cure to see if it would work. But the original overseer of Vault 81, Dr. Olivette, sabotaged the experiment, cutting off the nozzles, meaning the residents were safe. Curie found a cure by 2204, long after the original science team had died. This is also one of the only vaults that's actively still working, though not with its intended experimental purpose. Number 17. And lastly, the fifth and final vault of Fallout 4, Vault 95. Another social experiment, this vault housed chem addicts, promising them rehabilitation and safety. This worked and was great for five years. And then Vault-Tec planted a stash of chems in the vault to be found to see what residents would do. Once it was found, the vault erupted into chaos. The residents either relapsed, died in fights over the chems, or fleed into the wasteland, leaving it available to the gunners as their base when you find it in 2287. Number 18. The children of the Atom return from Fallout 3, having set off on their expeditions from Megaton, in this case to the crater of Atom in the Glowing Sea. 
The detonation site of the nuclear bomb that devastated the rest of Massachusetts. Now, if you're wondering how the children of the atom are just chilling in a bomb crater with no radiation effects or turning into ghouls, you'll be as annoyed as I am to find out there is no scientific explanation. It's just atoms gift, apparently, and you have to accept it like I do. Number 19. Although your character is called the Soul Survivor and is a potato, they don't have to travel alone. There are a total of 13 different companions. Well, 12. If you're using Preston as a companion willingly, you need to reevaluate your life. Anyway, these companions can accompany you through the Wasteland Adventure, and each one has a different set of skills and perks, which takes us nicely onto... Number 20. Codsworth is the very first companion, in fact, the first sentient being you encounter upon your Bolt Escape. What's really cool about this little robot butler is the fact he's programmed to say over 900 different names. So, if you're a Sam like me, or Dick, it's a name, or a Kal-El, no. you'll be happy to hear he'll call you by your real name. He does also, however, have ruder names installed, which we can't mention because monetization. Number 21. Dogmeat is your first proper optional companion, found just outside of Condor. This is the first Fallout game where your canine companion cannot die. Thank the Lord for that. He does whimper, though, when he gets hit or shot, which is just a, an awful noise to hear, frankly. Number 22. The next optional companion you meet is good old Preston Garvey. Preston gets a bad rap with all of his help the settlement quests that never end. But he's a good guy who just wants to help people with the Minutemen. Also, you can get romantic with him if you want to. Number 23. Along with Preston, you find Sturgis, Marcy, June, and everyone's favourite psychic stoner Grandma Mama Murphy, who is the reason why the gang are in so much trouble. Basically, the Raiders wanted to kidnap her, pump her full of chems, and get her sight, i.e. a very cryptic fortune. What's going around the corner that used to do that? I wonder if he's inspiration. Number 24. Anyway, Nick Valentine is Bay, And by Bay, I of course mean he's a mechanical prototype of a synth who has memories of a human being called Nick Valentine, who was a Chicago detective. Number 25. He's also an absolute bloody hero. Unlike other synths, the people of Diamond City like Nick a great deal for the most part. I mean, that's what tends to happen when you save the mayor's daughter from being abducted. At one point, he got surrounded by band guides and saved her by saying beep and pretending to be a bomb. That is how you do it. Number 26. Nick Valentine is a bloody cool noir name, that's for sure, but some believe it's an allusion to the detective Sam Spade, created by author Dashiell Hammett in the early 1900s. The Maltese Falcon detective's name is kind of similar, monosyllabic first name, half-associated second name, and his voice is similar to Humphrey Bogart's performance as the character in the 1941 Maltese Falcon movie. Number 27. In Fallout 4, some characters are marked as essential, meaning they cannot be killed, like Dogmeat, for example. It's worth noting and rejoicing that old Nicky Boy is one such character, making him basically invincible. Number 28. Sometimes a group of raiders will attack you. They attack, but then will stop right away upon recognising Nick, as Nick helped them out in the past. See? It pays to have him around. Number 29. Another cool little tidbit about our pal Nick is that if you have the mysterious stranger perk activated while you're accompanied by him, he'll make comments about the stranger, saying that he's been after him for years. If you go into Nick's house in Diamond City and look beneath the bed, you'll also find a case file about the stranger with references to his appearances across all the Fallout games. Number 30. Speaking of Diamond City residents, let's talk about Piper. No, she's not named after one of the most annoying characters in Netflix's history. In fact, I'm not even sure who she's named after. She is, though, an essential companion who also can't die. Number 31. 
Piper herself actually had a run-in with the previously mentioned Children of Atom, and similar to Nick, her quick thinking got her out of there. She pretended to have a vision of Atom itself, and then they not only let her live, but she became a dang acolyte. Number 32. Then there's the ghoul mayor Hancock, who you can also, uh, what's the word, companionize? It's worth noting too that apart from Curie and synth form and dance, but don't tell him that, Hancock is the only non-human you can actually have a little romantic relationship with. Yeah, sorry, dog meat just ain't into that. Number 33. If you've also played Fallout 3, then you may have noticed a few familiar faces scattered around the Commonwealth. First up, let's start with McCready. Oh yes, the lovable scamp from Little Lamplight's now all grown up. He got married, had a kid, and joined a faction. Sounds great until you realise his wife died, his kid died, and that faction was actually the Gunners. You can make him your companion and help him face the past that still tortures him. It's a much nicer way to remember our sweet little chum. Number 34. Next up, Dr. Madison Lee, who you'll remember from your birth in Fallout 3. In Fallout 4, she's fled to the Institute and serves as the Director of Advanced Systems. Depending on what route you take, you can work alongside her with the Institute, or you can convince her to leave it and continue working on another Fallout 3 relic, Liberty Prime. Number 35. There's also Brian Virgil, a former scientist at the Institute who's a super mutant. He infected himself in order to be immune to the radiation of the glowing sea. You can find his serum in the Institute, and if you return it to him, after three days he'll turn back to human. Number 36. Interestingly, if you give Virgil his cure back having Strong as a companion, he'll be upset, thinking you want to turn all super mutants back into humans again. You see, Strong loves being a super mutant, and he also really wants milk, like all the time. Number 37. Back to some Fallout 3 cross-referencing for a sec, of course we all remember the Brotherhood of Steel, the most macho-sounding faction of all time. Well, they return in Fallout 4, having split the East Coast from the Citadel, and who else will be commanding the Brotherhood but Lil Arthur Maxon, Elder Lion's ward from Fallout 3? Number 38. The now Elder and Super Commander of the Brotherhood, Maxon is not the only youngest Elder in Brotherhood history, the founder of the Brotherhood. And he's only 20! I wish I had a massive blimp house weapons thing and a whole army when I was 20. Number 39. The other most notable character of the Brotherhood is One Knight Reese. <laughs> I'm kidding, it's the worst character in the game. I'm actually talking about Paladin Dance. He's badass, but something's off with him. He uses expansive vocabulary and does not bleed when you shoot him. Later you'll realise it's actually because he's a synth, even though he's a massive synth hater. Number 40. Ah, Deacon. Deacon, Deacon, Deacon. He's part of the Railroad faction and says he can vouch for you despite having never met you before. He'll mention some of the notable good things you've done, but is most impressed by you getting rid of Kellogg. He consistently lies to you all the time, too, about his own life. But you can't help but love it, can you? Number 41. It's suggested that Deacon figures out who you are before you even leave Vault 111. There's a mini setup facing the vault, marked with a railroad ally sign, suggesting he's been watching you since the second you emerged. He also disguises himself as various NPCs in the Commonwealth before your proper encounter including in Diamond City, in Good Neighbor, in the Memory Den, and in Bunker Hill. The meaning of life. That leads us quite nicely, actually, onto the railroad. Again, hinted at in Fallout 3, the railroad can be found under the old North Church in North Boston. Led by Desdemona, the team believes in rights for synthetic beings, though not the creation of more. The big characters of the railroad include Desdemona, Tinker Tom, Dr. Carrington, Glory, and Pam. Number 43. So hey, we'd better quickly tell you about the last faction in the main game, the Institute. We've already established they're pretty shady, having, you know, kidnapped your son, murdered your spouse, and hundreds of people's relatives from a place since. So after Sean was kidnapped and he spent some time growing up with fellow shady shades to Kellogg, Sean became the leader of the Institute. 
number 44. The Institute is split into five divisions. Advanced systems that work on applied physics like plasma weaponry and teleportation. Bioscience, like curing the FEV virus. Facilities, you know, day-to-day -day stuff. Robotics, who, well, quite obviously manufacture the synths. And finally, the Synth Retention Bureau, who track down and return synths that have gone rogue above ground. Number 45. Speaking of the Synth Retention Bureau, this is where you meet another potential companion called X688, a quarter synth working on hunting down and retrieving those rogue ones. Quarters are designed to be smarter and stronger than their previous generations, making them perfect hunters. There's a binary sequence printed on every quarter's neck, which I won't bore you all by reading, but when translated it means synth. God, we got facts coming out the wazoo! Number 46. Now you're all clued up on the different factions, let's have a quick chat about some other important characters. We have Kate, the Irish chem addict, Cage Fighter, who you can find down at the Combat Zone. Kate's backstory is possibly one of the most heartbreaking in the entire game, so it's well worth finding her and levelling her up to max affinity to find out. Number 47. When you take her along as a companion, she does not trust anybody, because she's been continuously betrayed throughout her life. This is also a huge contribution to her addictions that have become incurable by a doctor or addict all, meaning she has to find other means of ridding herself of this demon. You as the sole survivor can give her a glimmer of light in life again. So, you know, do it. <laughs> Number 48. Slightly less emotional, but possibly as cool, is the potential companion Curie. Obviously named after the legend that is Mary Curie, the Contagion's vulnerability robotic infirmary engineer, Curie for short, is a modified Miss Nanny robot found in Vault 81. She has her own quest line when you can transfer her memory into a synth body, which makes her a romanceable companion. Bow chicken wow wow. Number 49. Let's rewind back a bit to the beginning of the game, with the vault tank rep that sells you your place in the vault. He's stopped by security and so never makes it to the vault when the bombs are dropped. You'd assume he died, but no! No no no! Go to the Hotel Rexford and good neighbour and you'll hear his voice. He's been very lonely and worse for wear, but he's still got his hat. Number 15. One of all our four's most curious locations is the USS Constitution, a, uh, flying 19th century ship that's been fitted with some tech that will make Tony Stark blush. It's captained by Ironsides, who desperately wants to sail it into the Atlantic Ocean. Although something he's missing is the fact that there's a hole in the hull, meaning it would sink were it ever to get to water. Number 51. The USS Constitution is a real ship, by the way, available to see on board in Boston. She has a nickname too, Old Ironsides, which is where Ironsides gets his name from. Number 52. There's also another sea vessel in Fallout 4, the Yangtze, a Chinese submarine, captained by, well, Captain Zhao. It's named after a Chinese river and needs to be repaired so that Captain Zhao can head back to mainland China. Number 53. Since we're talking about vehicles, here's quite an odd one you may stumble upon if you're a high enough level. A UFO! UFOs are a bit of a mainstay in the Fallout universe. Fallout 3 has got a whole expansion pack set on board one after all. It's worth noting too, this is the only place in the game you can get an alien blaster. Number 54. Also, an alien, as far as we can tell, the only one in the game, is hiding in a cave nearby with a crippled leg. This must be the former pilot of said UFO, or it's an incredible coincidence. Number 55. Speaking of somewhat paranormal places, there's also the Museum of Witchcraft. Based on the real-life Museum of Salem, which is found in the same area of Boston. There are no witches here, though, just an absolutely massive death claw. Some might say that's worse. Number 56. The Suffolk Charter School is another very odd place in the wasteland, and much like everything in Fallout, something weird happened there. 
Specifically, the principal decided to take some funding in exchange for allowing the government and vault to feed the kids and staff exclusively some mysterious pink paste. Number 57. This, in turn, creates bright pink ghouls. They're unique to this location, and once you kill them, they cannot come back. It's worth noting that the paste does not turn you into said ghouls. Canonically, it's made pupils misbehave and give them pink complexions. Number 58. There's also a neat little easter egg that references another easter egg from Fallout 3. Oh, I know, right? In the third game, there's a door in the wasteland that leads to nothing but a wall with some graffiti on it saying something very rude that I can't repeat. In the school, though, there's something similar, but instead it says, You look nice today, which, ah, shucks, thanks. Number 59. Let's real quick talk about this cute little plastic swan. If you get too close, you'll realise quickly that this innocent swan is actually a terrifying super mutant behemoth. Swan has a kind of tragic backstory, though, previously being a convicted criminal who volunteered for human testing in exchange for a reduced sentence, in which he becomes the terrifying green rage machine that sleeps in the pond. Time travel! Not that one, not the Hulk. Number 60. When exploring the wasteland, you might happen upon a junk item called a flux sensor. It's classified as junk, but it has a nifty little secret on it. Flip it, and you'll see the ID number CM88B1809224609, which also happens to be the ID number of the starship Nostromo, the famous setting of the 1979 movie Alien. Number 61. It's actually possible to visit the iconic bar for the 90s sitcom Cheers. You can buy a skeleton wearing a mailman's hat, which is clearly Cliff, making the one next to him Norm. You can also find Sam's office, no, not mine, the pool room, and a bunch of other Easter eggs relating to the show. It's even called Prost, which is the German word for cheers. Number 62. After Diamond City now, and have you ever noticed that there's just one red seat up in the stands? Well, actually, that mirrors real life. It's a tribute to one of the best baseball players in history, Ted Williams. Having played mostly for the Boston Red Sox, Williams was dedicated to the chair in Fenway Park as a tribute to his incredible achievements, as well as how much he changed the history of the sport. Everybody say, ah. Number 63. Being British, we're pretty well known for some things. Some good, some not very good at all. One of those things is the big stony thing down south called Stonehenge. Well, if you explore near Sanctuary, you'll find a similar structure, but built out of old rusted cars. I wonder if it has as many conspiracies as a real thing. Nintendo 64. If you've played Fallout 3 or Elder Scrolls Oblivion, it's probably not a huge surprise to you that some people over at Bethesda are huge fans of H.P. Lovecraft and his horror writings. The huge quarry at the south of the map called the Dunwich Borers is a clear nod to the story of the Dunwich Horror. If you go exploring in the quarry, you'll find a maze like mine, which if you follow to the end of the line has a rather unsettling climax. A bit like that Dunwich building in Fallout 3. Number 65. Lovecraft gets another shout-out in what seems to be an innocent house over in Good Neighbor. Sure, it looks inconspicuous, but as soon as you enter the Pikmin Gallery, you're met with some of the most horrific art you can imagine, that we're not going to show you, because, well, monetization. Pikmin is clearly a reference to the artist of the same name in Lovecraft's story Pikmin's model, in which an artist creates paintings that appear to be evil. I think I'll stick with the bunnies. Number 66. More Easter eggs, and staying on the horror theme, there's a great reference to the Saw franchise down in the parking garages at Mill Well, if you explore near Sanctuary, you'll find a similar structure, but built out of old rusted cars. I wonder if it has as many conspiracies as a real thing. Nintendo 64. If you've played Fallout 3 or Elder Scrolls Oblivion, it's probably not a huge surprise to you that some people over at Bethesda are huge fans of H.P. Lovecraft and his horror writings. The huge quarry at the south of the map called the Dunwich Borers is a clear nod to the story of the Dunwich Horror. 
If you go exploring in the quarry, you'll find a maze like mine, which if you follow to the end of the line has a rather unsettling climax. A bit like that Dunwich building in Fallout 3. Number 65. Lovecraft gets another shout-out in what seems to be an innocent house over in Good Neighbor. Sure, it looks inconspicuous, but as soon as you enter the Pikmin Gallery, you're met with some of the most horrific art you can imagine, that we're not going to show you, because, well, monetization. Pikmin is clearly a reference to the artist of the same name in Lovecraft's story Pikmin's Model, in which an artist creates paintings that appear to be evil. I think I'll stick with the bunnies. Number 66. More Easter eggs, and staying on the horror theme, there's a great reference to the Saw franchise down in the parking garages at Milton General Hospital. The car park is kitted out to the max with a number of death traps and puzzles you have to navigate your way through. There's even a choice of prize at the end, but beware, whichever you don't choose gets blown up, so choose wisely. Number 67. You want some more movie references, do you? Well, alright then. Head on down to the old ruins of CIT and you'll find a great little nod to Boston local besties Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Inside, you'll find the skeleton of a janitor next to a blackboard with the same algebraic problem on it from the movie Good Will Hunting. How do you like them apples? That's from the film as well. So, Number 68. In Overland Station, there's a boat nearby with the skeleton of a man wearing a bandana laying next to a massive mutated dolphin thing that looks like a shark. This is a lovely little rep to the ending of the 1975 hit, Jaws. There's even a shark cage under the boat, should you decide to have a little dip in the water. Neato. Number 69, FEP. Okay, so the makers of Fallout 4 love Harrison Ford. So much so, there's a number of Easter eggs featuring his famous heroic characters. First of all, if you head over to the Mass Fusion Containment Shed, you'll find a sneaky reference to Roy Batty's death scene from the movie Blade Runner. Speaking of Blade Runner, just look at Diamond City. It's just a big rundown Blade Runner set. Number 17. Down between University Point and Nippon Set Park, there's a kid called Billy stuck in a fridge. A great reference to the worst Indiana Jones film. And finally, in the Nuka World DLC up on Fiztop Mountain, you can find a tiny person seemingly encased in carbonite. Which is, of course, a reference to Star Wars. If you shoot at it too, it bleeds if you're that sadistic. Number 71. Yippee-ki-yay, mother factors. Why do I say that? Well, it's a good greeting, but also, if you're at the Macraft fish packing building, keep an eye out for a message in a bottle with a note, come out...
Oh shit. Alright, here we go. You're on Brainwash Radio Hollywood. This is the first day of winter. The winter solstice for some of you and uh, all that good stuff. Let's get it on.
Yeah, the brain bitches.
All right, well, I hope you guys are having a, a 
enjoyable first day of winter and celebrating it your own way, however you does it. And I'm glad you're listening in and tune in for some more coming right up. Boom. Thank you. 
You're on Brainwash Radio Hollywood with your host, oh, Brainwash Radio Hollywood. Hope you're loving it. You have about four minutes left. Let's make it snazzy. <laughs> 